At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. An Eastern Conference 15 and 60. Apologies for the delay in getting this out, but we will have a Friday episode for subscribers that will release during the day on Friday. So you'll still get your five episodes this week. Let's get started here, though, Danny, with the 13 and 13 Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, the Hawks are 5-4 and four since the last 15-60. and 60. They are a plus 2.3 net rating, puts them at 10th in the league, which is pretty good, I would say, overall. And that's fueled by their offense. They're third in offense this year, and a some would say, I, I think you'd say disappointing 22nd in defense. We'll talk about that in the in the meat of this section. Uh, 538's Raptor model projects that the Hawks will finish with 48 wins, which will be fourth in the East. And ELO is less optimistic, 73% chance of making the playoffs compared to 85. Few pieces of housekeeping for them. Um, Bogdan Bogdan Donovich is now doing on-court work as he re- as he's recovering from injury. Uh, we haven't heard anything in terms of a change of timeline or anything, but it's a, it's a sign of progress. And then also, uh, Shams Trania's inside pass piece on Monday noted that Travis Schlenk and the members of his front office are expected to get contract extensions, which sounds like it's also going to involve a promotion for Schlenk and then Landry Fields, who's currently the assistant general manager, being promoted to general manager, though it doesn't seem like the decision-making structures would be fundamentally changed. It's one of those like double promotion deals. I.e. title inflation. Yes. Well, the other interesting thing from Sean's piece today was the news that the Hawks might be trying to flip Cam Reddish into someone more capable of helping them this season. So, well, uh, so what's they, interesting? Or, or, well, or, oh, so, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I misspoke. That was your note that I was. That's reading. my note. So, so, so basically, what Shams was saying is that teams are interested in Reddish, which is not a huge surprise, and the Hawks want a first for him, which was like, no shit. Yeah, he was the tenth overall pick a couple of years ago, and when he's been available, he's been fine. But my my question was, could instead of getting a future asset, and and yeah, maybe the cost certainty and some other stuff, like you know, pushing that can down the road a little bit, would be beneficial for Schlank and the Hawks as all these guys get raises, but. My interest, my the question that interested me was okay. Let's say you're in, you're thinking about trading Cam Reddish. What would you be looking for, and what would make some sense? And I. I think there's a possibility that they could parlay Cam Reddish into somebody, you know, you stuff the salary match and everything else that could help them more this year. But why I would keep him unless the offer is just really strong is because wing depth is important for the Hawks. They have options, but I mean, some of those guys are hurt right now. I mean, Hill's out for the year. Hunter's out for a period of time. I don't think we have an exact timeline there. Bogdanovich is currently out. But then the other thing is Cam Reddish, I think, has more potential than who they would trade it. So if you did a short-sighted move, I don't think it it shifts the Hawks' like title expectations too much. And Reddish has the upside. But one thing I did think about, depending on how Schlenk and Nate McMillan want to use Kevin Herter, is 
it kind of seems like they might end up in a Warriors realm where backup point guard, the minutes when Trey Young is not on the floor, could end up being a persistent problem because it's like one of those things that isn't significant enough that you're going to really devote resources to it, but it also does, and because it's more of a regular season thing than a postseason thing, but it could be a challenge for them. I mean, they're at a 100 offensive rating this year when Trey's off the floor. Well, the other concern with trading Reddish, and I agree, I think it'd be interesting to see if they could try to find someone who would help them more than him this year although uh, i'm not sure what that would be same honestly i mean they're they're pretty stacked at most positions and the role that he provides as an athletic defender particularly since as you noted the deandre hunter's availability has been a big question mark over the course of his career so finding someone who can do the role that reddish can of hitting some three-pointers and defending and with his athleticism you know you're probably not going to be able to do that they don't have a ton of salary that they can just throw in you know delon wright might be the the other one for that uh but of further note on why i don't think they would trade for someone who would help them this year is because they are still trying to compete long term trey young is is still young and you know they signed kevin herter they've signed john collins they've extended clint capella they've also got a kongu uh, and so uh, they've got hunter still he's gonna potentially need an extension it seems like they're even with the health issues more of a believer in hunter than in reddish despite hunter being a little bit older i think they like his defense a little bit better and his shooting a little bit better so I think the reason they would try to trade him for a first round pick is really financial to kick it down the road a little more because even if they were to waive Danilo Gallinari next year, they're only $6 million below the tax. And, well, and and you know a way that six million dollars could go really really fast. Trey Young gets an All NBA spot. You and I both had him second. Or do we have him first? We had a first team. Yeah. No. And and I mean he certainly is trending that way and and deserves it considering how good the, this Hawks offense has been. He's been a big part of that. So uh, that would be an issue. And then obviously you know when you throw in the the uh, extra money that they're paying since they now have a pa- president of basketball operations and a GM. If if that happens, that then they're really <laughs> going to be in dire financial straits however uh yeah and that's only with nine players uh, as you mentioned so um i guess if you that includes some roster holds so but they're still they're going to be impacted by the tax they can't essentially afford to extend both hunter and reddish unless they were to make other moves uh and reddish you know what do you thought of his season so far i think it's been i think it's been fine it's encouraging that the three-pointer is is falling is falling at a good rate and like everyone's he's still he's aggressive when he shoots but it seems like at times like i, I go back to like the the film of james book james book night it's like maybe he's that way because they want him to be and so 37 percent from three yeah i mean this will be the third consecutive year that cam reddish is below 50 percent well below 50 percent from two so i would say though i i give physically talented wings time and reddish is 22 now he won't turn 23 until the start of next season basically so i could imagine a trade that i would consider but it also like generally speaking if it's a if you think a guy can play in a rotation and i think cambridge can right now i would give that guy the latitude to to make it work and remember restricted free agency isn't necessarily going to be super kind to him if the next year and a half don't go great yeah i mean that 42 percent two-point shooting is not amazing the fact also that he's i think he has this does he have the second highest usage of anyone on the hawks trey is massive this year 34 percent but yeah um 
technically Lou Williams is bumping, but Lou Williams comes off the bench and has a different role. But Reddish, I would say Reddish is third of Hawks regulars. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so, and this comes into play with a lot of young wings like Reddish. And we're, we, I know we got a lot of other stuff to get to on these guys. This is what happens when we don't talk for a couple of days. We're just uh, desperate to, to get all our thoughts up. But I, I think it's Reddish's situation is interesting. This overall Hawks situation is really interesting for mm-hmm. team building up. The having all the young guys, you get good. Now, how do you pay everyone, et cetera? Um, well, and just so, another, yeah. uh, sorry, go, if you had a thought on this, I was going to say straight up. Well, well, yeah, I was good. So, yeah, I mean, Reddish, he, he's at that interesting point with a lot of young wings where is he going to dial his role back a little bit? Shoot. 37 percent from three that's not bad that's above league average this year and it's still a good defender you know maybe he'll just get out and transition some a little bit of secondary scoring um but even with that uh, pretty good three-point shooting 53 percent true shooting it gets to the foul line about average so do you think that there's another pl- a player in there i mean he's been a terrible two-point shooter his entire career even going back to duke where i think it was like 38 percent or something like that so are, do you, is this a guy that you want to believe in i mean it seems like no they probably would rather hunter is fitting better into uh, that role uh, potentially at least in their eyes although you know statistically hunter uh has not been great over the course of, of most of his career um let's talk a little bit about this hawks defense though you mentioned uh, that they're 22nd in the nba yeah so something i did a little bit of digging into was that last year i mean was part of the argument in terms of defensive player of the year ballots is that the hawks were way better defensively when capel was on the floor than when he was off and and we noted at the time that some of that was uh, a split in opponent shooting but this year the hawks actually have been they've they've been better defensively at least statistically um when capella has been off the floor and not surprisingly a, a part of that is opponent shooting you know teams are teams are shooting a little bit worse from 3 when he's off and so you don't think that a center does too much to control that and the differences aren't that extreme you know it's but something that i found fascinating is that the non the non capella lineups are generally pretty small like you know they're playing collins or gorgie jang at center a kongwu when he gets back will change this dynamic but he's He's not all the way back yet. And then typically Gallo or a wing at power forward. But those lineups have been awesome on the defensive glass. And that's actually one of the biggest differences so far with Capella on and Capella off. I think when I watch the Hawks, that seems more anomalous to me. I don't think that there's some sort of, you know, like their bench bob is is identifying as gang rebounding or something like that. But it is kind of interesting. And, it is, you know, the idea that Capella, it doesn't have to be the centerpiece of, the, of, of Hawks defensive success is another thing that factors into the earlier conversation because... Like, are, are they going to experiment with maybe Collins at center? That, that's working a little better defensively than it has in the past? Or are is it is it just kind of early season flukery? And I, I think it's more the latter than the former, but I'm not sure. Just to finish up here on the Hawks offense, which you mentioned is a very encouraging third. Three-point shooting is what's been the biggest part of that. Second in the NBA, shooting over 38% from downtown. The other thing, they really are... Uh, average or above in all of the four factors that free throw shooting where they're 16th the biggest thing and a surprising one and we've seen this before with some of these heliocentric offenses he's like oh man trey young like he turns it over a lot uh you know he's averaging 4.1 turnovers per game but they're number one in the nba in not turning the ball over and that's because he's the one making the decision a lot of times yeah he might turn it over four times but then other guys aren't turning the ball over and they also have some other good players who, who aren't high turnover guys they get on the offensive glass with their two big lineup uh, although it's not it's not like they're dominating it on the offensive glass much 
Uh, and it's also interesting that, yeah, they're shooting 38% for three, but they are not taking a, a ton of three-pointers. It's But, hey, shooting a really high percentage from three. I mean, the, some of those Spurs offenses that didn't take a ton of threes, but made it the ones that they took you know that ended up being really important so i i don't know what i think of this hawks offense you know it doesn't and particularly now with bogdanovich out as well and hunter out i you know I, i'm just not sure john collins is a really efficient player you know, i still think he needs to they need to find a way to get him more involved trey is awesome obviously but i i just kind of it just doesn't seem like they have enough talent to be the number three offensive guy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a little bit optimistic for them. But some of the fundamentals are are pretty good. Um, let's jump to the Boston Celtics. Um, depending on when this gets released, the team that we will talk about or have already talked about for the uh, for the live show. Celtics are 13 and 14, 4 and 6 since the last 15 and 60, but they do have a positive net rating. Um plus 1.0 is 13th in the in the league, 18th on offense, 10th on defense. And I'm a little bit, I think, more optimistic than the 538 projections. They say that the Raptor, that they'll finish seventh with 45 wins and have a 70% chance of being playoffs and all the way down to a 50-50, basically, proposition per ELO. Good news for the Celtics that Jalen Brown is returning in the aforementioned Bucks game on Monday. He has missed five straight with a hamstring issue, but they will be without Josh Richardson, who is in the COVID protocols. Yeah, and they were... 13 and 11 went out on the West Coast and have now lost three straight, including back-to-back dispiriting losses to the Clippers without Paul George as they got lit up by Brandon Boston, which spawned a delightful Twitter post by Todd Whitehead of players with the last name of a city and how they've played against the teams from that city. So he's got a little ways to go yet, but uh, he had a career-high 27 against them, and Nicola Batum also got hurt in that game. And then in Phoenix on Friday, no Devin Booker, no DeAndre Ayton, and they got completely run again. 26 to three run for the Suns in the second to take it from basically tied to 57 33, and the game was over towards the end of the second. Jason Tatum got out with 12 quick points early and then got totally bottled up by Phoenix and Mikhail Bridges had 10 out of 25 from the field, had 24 points, but took him 25 shots to get there. Uh, There's still we thought that the way they were going to start this season and the way that they're going to be a really good defense uh, you mentioned that they're now 10th is that they were going to have a lot of athleticism and they're going to be able to switch one through five they'd start Marcus Smart and they've had to get away from that I think the lack of Jalen Brown has been part of that it hasn't worked uh, that well uh, they need to get Ennis Cantor on the floor obviously you can't switch with Ennis Cantor even though they tried it for one uh, memorable preseason game that didn't go too well and they've been starting Horford and Robert Williams together where you're probably not also going to switch with that. Even when it was Horford at center, they were going back to a conventional pick-and-roll defense against Chris Paul. During that run, Chris Paul completely carved them up, setting up Jalen Smith for a couple of threes, including a sweep behind the back, setting up Smith for another dunk. Uh, when Robert Williams came back in for i'm sorry i've been saying cancer it's actually and it's freedom now i'll it's gonna take me a little while to get that through my head um but it was they were just getting lit up in every possible way offensively and then they couldn't get any kind of easy buckets at the basket i mean that's something that's plagued this team for years and years and years i think you know since the isaiah thomas years even when Kyrie was there Kyrie is not someone who really generates a lot of easy buckets and Kemba Walker helped with that some at times but the Suns were switching one through four nobody could get much separation there like Dennis Schroeder really struggles in isolation um, because he basically is one move is just a hard drive to his right hand uh, even though he's averaging 17.6 points we'll talk a little bit more about him in a bit 
And, uh, you know, I think we, without Jalen Brown, you'd expect these guys to struggle to score, particularly against teams that have a good matchup for Tatum, uh, like Mikhail Bridges. But, I mean, the offense just looks so ugly against, admittedly, a very good Phoenix defense. Yeah. But, uh, so, I was, uh, that was just a really disappointing two-game stretch for them on the West Coast when maybe they could have gotten some momentum. But, you know, they've been missing an all-star for five games now. He had to, uh, I mean, it seems like that hamstring injury was not well-managed, and because he was out for a while then he came back and like oh he's going to be questionable for a bunch of games but then they would play him and it's like you can't just be like questionable every game with a muscle injury just in the meat of the regular season like you got it if you're at that point you got to sit down and get it right and so that's finally what they did but we'll see how he looks uh, tonight against milwaukee well and, um, what and else the good news about these guys yeah. so the good news for the celtics is they just had a five that five game road trip where as you mentioned they lost the last three they lost four or five um, only beat the blazers in that that weird game um the good news is that they're home but the bad news is they're playing a lot of good teams milwaukee golden state the knicks the the sixers and the Cavs. so we'll we'll see how they can do but if getting healthier we'll do that we'll help we'll help out and then it's also reporting from shams that rival teams expect the celtics to be open talks around dennis schroeder and there's been some of this like oh schroeder you know he's out playing his contractor he's doing so well. i mean schroeder has been basically exactly the same player this year that he's been before that if you're looking at you know shooting mid 30s on threes shooting below 50 percent on twos true shooting right around you know 55 54 percent usage in the 23 24 range like it's funny because now Schroeder has been this is his third team in three years and the general profile is about the same and so is that worth more than the mid-level exception contract that he has maybe but I don't see another team falling all over themselves like oh we we definitely need we definitely need that player and also you know as they've been shorthanded I I don't think Schroeder's you know he's not blowing me away he's the same player he's basically been but having another capable creator is something the Celtics have needed because they've had guys out for basically the whole year yeah quick update here on my bet with Jared Weiss Uh, I bet him that Horford and Robert Williams would not play 500 minutes uh, together and they have played 370 possessions together so far per cleaning the glass so probably a little under 200 minutes where that one's on pace to come right down to the wire it's looking like and we'll see i mean they're starting together so i mean that was my thought would be that they was going to be that they weren't going to start together we'll see who they end up starting tonight now that Braun is back but uh that's probably enough uh, on the celtics so far i'm sure we'll talk more about them uh, this week uh, as well man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly and American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code cap space at checkout please remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our cap space we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us um let's get to the 19 and 8 brooklyn nets they continued trucking along despite the fact it just doesn't really seem that impressive they're six in the nba with a 4.1 net rating six and three since the last 15 and 60 they're 10th on offense which at least that's rising right like they were because they were mired in the bottom half of the league early on so they're starting to do better very encouraging eighth in defense though and that's not and given the personnel available that's actually not I, I don't think that that's like a totally unsustainable number because they're playing mostly defensive players who can't shoot, right? They have four reliable three-point shooters who are available. It's Harden, KD, Harris, and Patty Mills, and everyone else can't really shoot. So, uh, but they, you know, they've got a lot of defensive guys out there and it, it, Steve Nash is, is kind of just relying on uh, KD and to a lesser extent harder, Harden to control things. They're projected for 52 wins, which is still second in the East. Raptor has about 96% chance for the playoffs. Elo, 95%. We should probably talk about Kevin Durant's uh, NBA season high 51 points against Detroit, however. Absolutely. And remarkably, that's only three points off of Durant's career high. He's one of those players that you think he has, you know, he feels like he could bust for 55, 60 at any point, but his career high is 54 against the Warriors against in 2014. And also only Durant's eighth game of 50 or more points, which again, seems low for him considering how di- yeah. dynamic. But, but he's just so incredibly consistent right. as well. And I think he, he's now actually, I would say other than maybe 2014, this has been the most aggressive season of his career. He still isn't going too crazy with it. Uh, but you know, this has been the closest that he's been to a one-man band in a while. And this is something we'd have to talk about a little bit more later. But, I mean, the way he's shooting the ball from mid-range this year is completely insane. 63% on twos 
outside of 16 feet and then the other crazy thing about him i'm not sure that i've seen ever seen like a, a shooting split like this honestly i mean this is like going back to you know in the 80s maybe you saw this but he's taking 32 percent of his shots from 10 to 16 feet that's and of, of course uh, hitting 52 percent of them uh and then and he's also hitting 51 percent from three to 10 feet so but like to the way he's able to get to those shots and there are just so few guys who, who can bother that. I'm surprised, actually, that teams aren't double team, just straight up double teaming him more. You know, even the Pistons just didn't do that at all. Now, it's not like, I mean, maybe the thought is like, hey, we're going to get KD, like KD get his, but it's still only a two when he makes it most of the time. Uh, but of course, he got to the foul line 14 of 15 in that game and also made a bunch of threes as well. So that enabled him to be much more efficient even on that 16 out of 31. But you know, to just kind of try to make some of these other guys beat them who, who can't uh, hit threes. Maybe we'll see more of that in the playoffs potentially. But yeah, it's just, this is one of the greatest mid-range shooting seasons we've seen. And just the ability to get that many shots from 10 to 16 feet and make them at, uh, the way he is. I mean, that's just, it is a totally unique style uh, for these guys. And that's you know, one of the big things that people have talked about with the Nets is, well, they're at this huge deficit in buckets at the rim every game. And you don't have anybody who gets to the rim. I think Nick Claxton being back, we'll talk a little more about him in a second, will help them with that. Um, and I think that's going to help James Harden also. So, so I'm, uh, it's just, this is not how you're supposed to win in modern NBA basketball, which is hilarious because they have the ultimate Mori ball guy and James Harden on their team to be this like huge mid-range team now with KD and not taking that many threes either and not getting in the rim, but they're still managing to be decent at it. Uh, what well, else do you need to talk about with these guys? Well, Did you have anything else on that game uh, against Detroit? Well, I just want to say after that game, these the, the stats with Durant on and Harden off for the full season, about 450 possessions, 123 offensive rating, which is completely ridiculous, plus 21.9 net rating. So, I mean, that, I mean, and you, you brought up the idea that this team doesn't have a ton of shooting. Like the most used lineup there, they've done a bunch of them, has Bembry and Javon Carter in it. I mean, it also has LaMarcus and Patty Mills when that stretch when LaMarcus couldn't miss. But I mean, that's that's really impressive. And they're not doing it in the normal way, as you said. But then the other huge piece of news for the Nets, potentially. Well, well here, but before we get to that, I just want to talk a little bit about this Hawks game as well. Sure. Just to, from a lineup standpoint, they closed the game with Nick Claxton, Cam Thomas and James Johnson alongside Harden and KD. Sunday was the game that KD played without Harden, and but Harden uh, rested, obviously. They won that game at Atlanta right before that, which was an impressive win. They've been starting LaMarcus Aldridge now. Blake Griffin has been out of the rotation. They played Paul Millsap in the first half. That didn't go too well. So then they brought back Nick Claxton, and he didn't play at all until he played basically the final 18 minutes of the game. And they really just, you know, I think Cam Thomas at least gives them some kind of shooting. He's probably their best available shooter outside of Patty Mills and, uh, and obviously uh, Katie and Harden with Joe Harris out. But I think that was just really interesting. I mean, Claxton and James Johnson, this is a team. It's just so weird to think about these guys who were just the ultimate spacing offense unstoppable last year to see them just going this like all right katie and harden you guys do all the scoring and we'll just defend uh, around you just a totally different approach yeah than you would have thought it is and i think claxton is, has given them some given them some juice overall and uh, a different a different type of big is is nice for for the nets in their rotation but the other potential jolt that could happen shams had in his piece is that there is renewed optimism around kyrie irving returning to the nets this season though it seems like uh, 
that might be i wonder where it's coming from because shams piece also includes that it's unclear whether that would come via Kyrie getting vaccinated or by the nets basically not the system not changing and the nets just being like oh okay you can come back so it's nebulous and um maybe there's some sort of intel that at some point Kyrie's going to do the vaccine and remember that just taking the shot doesn't mean that he's immediately eligible depending on whether he gets johnson johnson or something else the time oh, I, I i think i have a pretty good idea which one he'll get <laughs> <laughs> he, he'll get the johnson jump piece. yeah and so he's so then gonna, i think we're gonna be get shooting. the the smallest uh possible injection but so we'll see and for me with Kyrie, i'm this reporting doesn't change the status quo for me which is i'll believe it when i see it and if i see Kyrie get the jab or there's an announcement that the nets are changing policy i doubt that my my instinct though is that i doubt the nets are going to change policy because it seemed like they were a united front and the team is doing well like it's, it's not a circumstance where this is the only way to save our season we have kevin durant and james harden two great players that are in the edge of their prime no i mean they're 19 and 8 they're when they've been when their best guys have been available they've been pretty good and so and it made there's also their approach made sense of the like well if you can't play in more than half of our games then we probably shouldn't have you you know around the team all the time and all these other logistical problems so maybe shams has better intel and Kyrie's gonna you know he's gonna get the shot but as of now like I, i'll believe when i see it yeah I, I think that that's my thought on it as well and let's recall too the nets had plenty of optimism at the beginning of camp that this wasn't going to be an issue and same thing with the extensions with Harden and Kyrie as mm-hmm. well and that uh those have not come to fruition at all let's get to Charlotte here 15 and 13 pretty reasonable five and five since the last 15 and 60 given that LaMelo has missed four straight now in the protocols net rating is actually positive 0.5 remember last year they are actually a better team than last year because remember they were around 500 for a while even above 500 until they really just got totally destroyed by injuries and and lamella going out at the end of the year but they were pretty lucky team one of the luckiest teams in the nba right now they're playing about to their point differential second rank offense in the nba day 113.6 defense eh, 28th not as good so that's a second on offense 28th on defense that's about a 500 team they project for exactly 41 wins that would be the 10th seed in this stronger eastern conference uh 33% chance of the playoffs per raptor higher from elo so raptor doesn't like their players as much elo likes the way that they've played so far a little better than that and we could we could start on the yeah. kind of player availability front for the yeah. Hornets. And the good news is that Mason Plumley and Jalen McDaniels are out of the protocols. However, neither one of them will play Monday against the Mavs because they want to work on their conditioning. They're playing with the Greensboro Swarm or practicing, I think, more accurately with the Greensboro Swarm. We do not yet have a timeline on on their other guys like Lamelo and Ish Smith. Um, but also they've been dealing with PJ Washington and Nick Richards having non-COVID illnesses. But the good news is that PJ is probably going to play against the Mavs. He's been upgraded to probable, so he'll he'll presumably start considering Plumlee is is still out. It doesn't seem like Nick Richards is going to be back. We've gotten to see a little bit more of JT Thor and some of their other guys. But so there, it looks like the Hornets are, they're not out of the woods, but they're like maybe getting close to the edge of the woods. Yeah, so part of how they've been able to remain afloat going uh, two and two without all, all these players is, well, they've been scoring a, a ton, obviously, uh, taking 37 threes a game, making 39% of them still, averaging 121 points per game. And, you know, of course, every game because it's the Hornets uh, has been close in that. They each one out at home against the Sacramento Kings 124-123 uh but just uh, over these last four games what's been keeping them going just uh, great contributions for the guys who are available they've got 
four guys basically playing 40 minutes or more per game over that four game stretch kelly Oubre, miles bridges gordon hayward who not a guy you want playing 40 minutes and i think when we get to the bulls this will come up too of just and we saw this last year where it's not only about hey the guys who that you're missing but then it's so much of a load on the other guys that you have available and so i mean those four wings all having to play over 40 minutes per game and then when pj washington went out it was even more difficult but i mean kelly Oubre has has been awesome 27 points a game and he's taking 11 threes per game and he is just getting them up there and hitting 42 percent. i mean like he, he is just getting these threes off before it even hits his hand more than half of his shots coming from downtown uh miles bridges has hasn't actually been their biggest offensive engine but he's still been averaging 23 points as well and hayward's been averaging 20 so they got three guys averaging 20 a game during this stretch even cody martin playing his 40 minutes is at 16 points it's a lot easier to average a lot of points when you play a lot of minutes and you play super fast which is what they're doing but just to stay afloat during this period very impressive and then finally we saw a little bit of James Booknight, they've had this group that's been, whether it was Thor, who's actually been in the rotation playing 19 minutes, Booknight now has finally played in the last four, 16 minutes. And, you know, Kai Jones with Washington out finally actually played five minutes in their game against Sacramento. Um, I thought Booknight, I wouldn't take a ton away from that big game he had against Sacramento. He's six of eight from three. So that was a, a big part of it. His 24 points, he was nine of 14 from the field, had one assist. I think he's got four assists so far far on the season in 42 minutes he's a very just interesting looking player this didn't stick out to me as much in summer league but he's just kind of all arms and legs like very bow-legged and arrhythmic and that helped him some when with his shot fake he's got kind of that long slow shot fake and then he always likes to step uh, to his left that's how he got open for a lot of these threes he leans to his left side when he shoots the three he did hit six out of eight in this one obviously that was one of the big things coming out of school where he was uh, supposed to be a shooter but only hit 29 percent, even though he had some big scoring games his handle did not look great to me there were a very high dribble which isn't necessarily the end of the world magic johnson a really high dribble and you know if you you can kind of like get more speed on your dribble that way like i was actually saying chris paul even for his size has a pretty high dribble at times though he obviously can get low but uh, i i wouldn't say that book knight has a particularly good handle at this point which he's going to need absolutely that that's how he's going to get places off is off the dribble um so you know a lot of his when he try to get into any kind of advanced move or even just like coming down floor trying to set a guy up for a movie just like slightly mishandle it uh didn't look that great um one thing that i did really like about him is his constant activity and particularly with them playing without a traditional big a lot of the time transition just helter skelter he's able to slip behind guys he had a nice back cut against davion mitchell who remember tormented him in summer league he had a couple of other plays where he just kind of found a crack in the defense and was able to get open and score inside um so he gives them some nice offensive pace in the half court um but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very awkward watching him. Like, it looks like when he's taking this three, he's kind of leaning to the left. It's a, it's almost like he's a little Kevin Martin-y, mm. uh, although I don't know that he's th- going to be that level of shooter, but kind of just like the lean and just the, the awkwardness just kind of plays at a different pace, different movement patterns. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see more of him. You know, I'm not like unbelievably high on him at, at, as of yet. And, you know, the fact that it took all of these injuries to get him on the floor at all it makes you wonder and thor i think has given them some decent moments uh 
he actually took all six of his shots from three-point range in that game against the Kings, which is something else to watch also. All right, let's get to the Chicago Bulls here. Yeah, I, I don't know the right way to cut Bulls in half, but it's that's a kind of what they're where they are right now. Um, yeah. Bulls are 17 and 10, 6 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. Uh, plus 3.3 net rating is still really strong, eighth in the league. They're doing that with a mix of 13th in offense and ninth in defense. And yeah, the 538 models are optimistic as they should be. Um, 47 wins would be tied for fifth and about an 80% chance of making it. And the Bulls are at the forefront of what I think is the biggest news in the NBA over the last little while, which is the first postponed games of the 2021-22 season. The Bulls, as of the moment we are recording this, I believe technically have 10 players in the protocols. It's been, you know, the number's been shifting around a little bit. Zach Levine and Troy Brown added on Sunday, Alizé Johnson on Monday. And so the NBA decided to postpone the Bulls-Pistons game on Tuesday, Bulls-Raptors on Thursday, including some push from the Chicago Department of Public Health, which is interesting. And it's I, I fully support this decision. I think it was the right thing. You know, the teams being right on the margins, potentially having that, like, oh, are the Bulls going to say that Alex Caruso is available or unavailable and that potentially swing games? It's like, no. If it's that close, postpone the game. Yeah, and I think, as I said, with the Bulls being fully vaccinated and hopefully everyone around the team fully vaccinated, it shouldn't be an issue of just overall health. However, it seems like there's a pretty decent chance that Bulls players may have spread it to other teams during games. And we'll talk more in the heat section about some of this, but the good news, a lot of these guys seem to be a asymptomatic or pretty close now remember that the protocols for fully vaccinated players don't require testing unless you are already in the midst of an outbreak as a team and let's also remember too granted COVID cases are going up a little bit again through the winter but the NBA started mandating daily testing for all these teams after Thanksgiving knowing that people were going to be gathering with people for Thanksgiving and coming back and so maybe Thanksgiving coming into contact with people caused this but it could also just be that a lot of these cases were just kind of going undetected within the team because they're asymptomatic now asymptomatic people can still transmit the virus that's you know why this has been such a a miserable pandemic although generally if you're asymptomatic you're probably less likely to transmit if you truly have are just overall remain asymptomatic the whole time which uh, vaccinated people are are, it's quite possible that they're going to do so i think this is the right move to postpone because i mean number one from a competitive standpoint i mean it got to the point where they got a hardship exemption signed stanley johnson and then immediately he had covid as well it's unclear whether he got it from the team or whether he just came into it uh, having COVID. Um, you know, and they could have gotten a couple of guys back, but who had also just been sitting out for 10 days, like Kobe White. So I think it's the right move to postpone. It's a little bit harder to do now because, you know, it's not like arenas are just open the way they were before. You, know, you have a, a little bit more difficulty in rescheduling the games at, at a later point, and it'll be hard for them. But I think it's probably better for the health of the players to have to play more games later than it is to continue again you know some of the minute totals for some of these guys were pretty crazy um i did do some work here on lonzo ball i wanted to take a look at how his season compared with new orleans last year because remember of course the party line coming in was that he was going to get to do more point guard stuff in chicago that's what they were signing him for and obviously his defense has been better i think better than in new orleans they just have a better defensive culture in chicago but i think other than his spot of shooting which has been excellent so far this year there just hasn't been any kind of growth in fact, I would say regression in his half-court playmaking. 
Well, yeah, the question, it's not, it, there are kind of two elements of this. One is, are you doing something different? And then how is it working? And so for, for Alonzo, in terms of what he's doing, in terms of play types, it's it's pretty much in line. You know, he's if you're doing it by the synergy stuff, percentage of possessions, 37% as a spot-up guy this year, 36% last year. Pick and roll, 23.5% last year, 22% this year. So it's, it's largely in line there. And what's interesting about Lonzo so far this year is that the like the spot ups are going way better. That's I mean Lonzo right now shooting 42% on seven threes a game. But we've lamented in the past that he hasn't been a great uh, two point shooter and that he had, doesn't get to the line. Lowest free throw attempt rate of his career. And instead of shooting, I, I mean, how how impossible is that? to imagine that he would have a 12.6% free throw rate in his rookie year with the Lakers and that that would be a career high for him. It's just gone down since then. Yeah, and it's not like it's going down because he's taking such a super high role in the offense that he's taking more free throws and so it's just as a rate of a shot. No, he's taking 0.6 free throws attempts per per game so far this year. But then the other thing, as this pendulum is swinging kind of in a different direction, I talked about the three-point efficiency. He's below 40% on twos so far this year. Yeah, that, that he actually had gotten to be somewhat decent on those in New Orleans. That's probably been the biggest statistical regression. His usage is also down from New Orleans. His assist percentage is down as well, down to a career low 19.5 percent for the that's the basketball reference version of the stat. And turnover rate is back up as well. So I think he was pro- probably better offensively in New Orleans last year than he's been so far this year. Now. I when I took a look at his pick and roll numbers which have been pretty ugly in terms of the efficiency the big problem is that he's turning the ball over a ton and so I watched some of those turnovers and the two things that stuck out to me number one was there's just not much space for him particularly on some of these second units when Vucevic isn't out there you know they're gonna have two to three non-shooters on the floor and not a lot of great finishers so I mean if they're at the point where they're asking him to do more that's because one of Levine or DeRozan is off the floor and so they are when he gets into his pick and roll there isn't that much space he's not going to be it doesn't really have like the mid-range game to attack a, a drop coverage and then when he looks to make a pass you know it's kind of what you would think of as an advanced pass on a lot of these and some of those go through but the windows are really tight and then it's a lot of times it's just kind of not there like he's anticipating that say you know if there's a switch you'll be able to find a guy rolling to the basket and he'll throw that pass but there'll just be a guy in between where it, 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 the guy just wasn't open right like it was mm-hmm. theoretically good but you got to actually look and see whether the guy's open or not yeah, that, that that is a real challenge. But I think that depending on how the rotation ends up sorting out, maybe getting a little bit more space, will you know, it could lead to some of those passes being a little bit more available than they were so far. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone 
is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique mattresses everybody sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us cleveland cavaliers are the darling of the nba danny 16 and 12 7 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 since evan mobley came back they have been on a ridiculous roll even without colin sexton seventh in the nba in net rating they have completely blown out a few teams lately 19th on offense which is shockingly good considering the personnel that they have had available and then even more shockingly good the third ranked defense in the nba 104.7 defensive rating they now project for the eighth seed 44 wins raptor 56 percent chance to make the playoffs elo based on the way they've played so far all the way up to 75 percent chance of making the playoffs what else can we say about the Cleveland Cavaliers? I mean, there's a lot to say about the Cavs. And one really, really interesting kind of note is that they've had a really hard schedule so far. So the Cavs are actually number one in the East in SRS, the simple rating system, which incorporates margin of victory and schedule difficulty. And the Cavs have the league's easiest remaining schedule. Now, we're early enough that it's not like it. They're hugely easier. This is like the last 15 games where it's like you just might be playing a bunch of bad or good teams. And the most recent game that I watched for Cleveland was the complete ass kicking they gave the Minnesota Timberwolves in Minnesota. Um, really did a great job taking Minnesota out of their offense. And in the first quarter where they where they really kind of put the margin, I, I don't know if the actual number is true, but it seemed like Cleveland outscored Minnesota if you just counted lobs. They had a bunch of finishes there. It was a, a really <laughs> impressive, a really impressive performance for them and you know the it was that game the usual suspects as well jared allen who we'll talk about that had a, had a 21 10 game Darius garland distributed the ball well but i think what really pushed cleveland over the top in that one what made it such a thorough victory was that the complimentary players did a really nice job too offensively and so okoro and markinen koro uh, was six for seven on twos markinen was four or five on threes in 22 minutes and the ensemble like i mean the caps are just a way better team i've admitted this in various forms they're a way better team than i thought they would be and a lot oh, of oh you is, didn't see them being uh being third in defense that wasn't <laughs> part of your evaluation and a lot of that is their best players being good but also at times they've gotten some stuff from their complimentary guys and it it is interesting uh, i haven't i 
to like the, what are the some of the ripple effects of Colin Sexton's injuries and and Isaac Coro has been very limited offensively I think we'll spend some more time on that in a future iteration of the podcast but bringing him in does give them a different capability defensively because they're not playing two limited guards anymore no that's a, a huge factor as well I mean we've seen Portland struggle with that Philly's kind of dealing with that a little bit right now as well and just to have a little bit more switchability and this is something that Chris Fedor talked about on our preview podcast which of course was uh, a thousand percent wrong <laughs> in terms of our outlook for the team so far uh, but one thing he did note is that the organization was seeing Okoro as more of a two than a three and so now I think having him out there they can mix and match a little bit where they're going to put Lowry Markin in but Markin is slow sure but if he gets blown by he's got these two monsters behind him now of course Markin is playing plenty of time with the four in bench units as well Kevin Love has actually been totally good so far I mean he's not playing a ton of minutes but 58 percent true shooting getting every single defensive rebound and shooting it well from downtown spacing the floor they just need another guy who can hit uh Jetty Osmond has been another guy who's given that unexpected production we talked about a little bit hasn't been as terrible defensively either and I think Osmond is just an interesting test case a guy who you know was some of the metrics painted as one of the worst defenders in the NBA uh even the Cavs internal metrics apparently said that according to uh, Chris Fedor on a, a couple of pods that we've done but now he can actually be acceptable because he has uh, this size behind him with Mobley who's who's been amazing and, and obviously Allen as well um Jared also is uh Jared I was almost called him Jared All-Star so is he going to be Jared All-Star this season I think it's looking that way and if you want the pure counting stats 17 and 11 in 33 minutes a game, 24 PER, 73% true shooting, which is ridiculous. Oh, usage, you know, Jared Allen, not a huge role in the offense. Um, And if you, for those who like EPM, Jared Allen is currently second among all NBA centers in EPM behind only Nikola Jokic. He passed Rudy Gobert with uh, Cleveland's win over the weekend. And one of the reasons that is, I mean, you brought up the defense when Allen and Mobley are together. I mean, under a 97 defensive rating, which is completely ridiculous. And they're not actually that combination. They haven't been great on the defensive glass. Part of that is because of how many shots they're going after. Um, but they've been strong in everything else, including allowing 30, sorry, 52.6% of field goal percentage at the rim. That's not only contested shots, that's on everything, which is pretty, pretty astonishing. And so I did a little bit of digging um, inspired because this is the team that this team has two different players contesting five shots or more a game. I think both of them are over six right now. Yeah, 6.2 and 7.3. Um, and we know this stat can be a little bit noisy, but opponents are shooting 51.6% on shots that Jared Allen contests at the rim. That is the second lowest field goal percentage of anybody who's contesting six or more shots a game. Gobert is number one. Not a huge surprise there. Um, and and then Mobley, who's actually contesting more shots, his uh, the percentage is a little bit a little bit better. Meaning opponents are making a little bit more of them. But so I mean, those guys are both they're blocking a lot of shots, they're affecting a lot of shots, they're you know all the all of that, and you can see the the benefits overall for their defense. Yeah, Cleveland as a team. Now this isn't an amazing metric 
but Cleveland contests the third most shots at the rim in the NBA. Now, of course, part of defense is just not allowing shots at the rim sure. to begin with. But you, yeah, with those two guys, Mobley and Allen, and particularly a power forward, who, again, is playing center a reasonable amount as well, but a power forward in Mobley, who's able to contest even more shots at the rim than the center is and do a good job with that it has been awesome. Um, oh, as a, as a stray yeah. note, just because I was doing all this stuff on um, on contesting at the rim, there are, there are four gentlemen who are contesting five or more shots at the rim who opponents are making over 60% of those shots. So that's the, you know, the higher range of it. Um, it's an interesting group, um, some repeat customers, um, but the group is Carl Anthony Towns, about 66% on the shots he contests, Plumley 64.4, Jokic, 63.5, and Anthony Davis, 62.4%. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit in a previous. Oh no, actually, I think it was in the All NBA conversation. Yeah, that we that we had. So, um, I mean, do you think this? I mean, this, again, you mentioned they're number one in the East and SRS. They have the league's easiest remaining schedule. I mean, what do you think about this team this year? Are they actually like you know going to be? Are they going to be top six in the East? Like, is this really going to happen? I think I think there's, especially considering the injuries for Miami, I think there's a chance that a meaningful chance that if they can stay healthy from this point, that they're in the four or five. That I that's that's my feel on the Cavs right now they're just better than I thought they were the biggest thing that you would look at for them is just the lack of playmaking on the outside yes that this this 19th on offense particularly as offense rises over the course of the season it might not be sustainable if they have any kind of an injury to Darius Garland they are completely screwed and that's that's where Sexton maybe could have been helpful for them and you know, maybe Sexton's future with this team if he comes back would be as a six man I think he could probably really help them there so and Ricky Rubio has had one of the highest usage rates of his career though it's gone down a little bit you just wonder how these guys can even possibly be 19th on offense one of the big reasons for that is just that they're getting pretty efficient scoring out of guys like love and jared allen i mean other than garland it's really and the passing but not necessarily the scoring of rubio that's where so much of their offense is coming from uh the other thing too that we must note in terms of their defense second in the nba allowing only 32.8 percent from three yes uh now they are the number one team in the nba though in opponent shooting at percentage at the rim 58 percent all of those metrics are awesome and i mean at least jb bickerstaff likes to play big going back to his memphis days and they've succeeded in the way that they just would have had to essentially with the, the lineups that they're playing by just being big using their size to really control the game to the extent that you can and particularly in a regular season format on a night-to-night basis they also just play really hard that's another mm-hmm. thing too they've got a lot of athleticism and length and energy so i don't think this defense is not going to end the year third in the nba i would be surprised if that were the case and i also think their offense may not be as good you still i think do regress your expectations for a team to the preseason mean to some degree yeah you can't you had that for a reason but also you can't deny how good they've been so far and as you mentioned like the schedule gets easier going forward so they could not play quite as well they've also had missed Mobley for a while uh they could not play quite as well and you know still win as many or more games uh, as they have been already absolutely um we can move on to their central division rival um the Detroit Pistons the Pistons are have sunk all the way to four and 22 because they have lost all 11 games since the last 15 and 60 that's not great they are dead last in net rating negative 12 per 100 possessions dead last in offense below a point per possession barely and they're 25th in defense 
Raptor and Elo, I believe, both think they're the worst team in the Eastern Conference. And they got even that got even more stark from a talent perspective with the news that Jeremy Grant has some torn ligaments in his right thumb. He is out for six weeks. That's basically until the trade deadline. And notably, though, from Shams Trania's inside pass, that isn't scaring teams off of potentially trading for Grant. He has this year and next year, and then he will uh, under contract already. Theoretically, a team could extend him, you know, as well if they acquire him, you know, between now and then. Um, and so Sham says that the Lakers and Blazers are among the teams that are pursuing Jeremy Grant. And I love this phrase. Dozens of teams call the Detroit front office about Grant each week. Um, yes, dozens. So that means every week, at least 24 teams, multiple dozens, at least 24 teams call them every week about Jeremy Grant. That's what that means. Yeah, it's a lot of calls. Um, <laughs> and and for, for just so it's out there, um, Grant, 54% true shooting on 27 usage, which is pretty much in line with his full season stats last year not the anomalously great start that he had um but what's concerning to me there is that grant only shooting 46 percent on twos worse around the basket but like a lot of more interior based players he is getting to the line about the same amount as last year so the way I interpret this is just like sometimes when a rookie has a really strong second half, you're like, well, the whole season is more predictive than just the second half. It's like, okay, he is he is not the player he was for like the first month and a half of last year, but he is the player he was all of last year. Yeah, it's interesting, Grant. Like many wings going into his late 20s, he's seen some declining athleticism. You know, we're not seeing those highlight dunks just popping off the ground off of two feet, not getting a lot of LU. So there's not a lot of guys to set those up. And he's not in the same role. He's not playing you know, backup center the way he did it in okc or sometimes in denver and it'd be interesting to see whether because these teams that would be trading for him they're going to want him to slot into a smaller role they're going to play maybe just a little bit more aggressive a role of what he played in denver in 1920 their great run in the bubble and the other thing that's mentioned here by shams is that he's eligible for a four-year 112 million dollar extension in the offseason and quote interested teams understand grant will command most of his maximum salary extension next summer uh and he, he likened it to the aaron gordon situation which i think is a pretty good analog uh, although grant can make a little bit more money than gordon going forward and so at his age the pistons where they are right now it probably doesn't make sense to give him that extension he'd be eligible for four years and what's next year is age 28 season yes that's correct so you know 29 through 32 at over 25 million yes the cap is rising i don't think detroit where they are as a team right now wants to give him that extension i think he's probably more tradable now at his age than he would be once that extension is given out so i would absolutely be trying to move him the pistons aren't going anywhere right now Cade cunningham probably needs to be a three rather than a two offensively i think that would help him to just get you know sadiq i mean i guess sadiq bay is kind of not really a four though so you do wonder like what the long-term outlook is there who their four would be if they move grant long-term well they'll maybe be chet holmgren (laughs) (laughs) uh or uh that would be the hope obviously for the pistons because they're gonna have plenty of lottery luck going forward but this seems like grant is kind of you know along the lines of like two protected you know a lot of protected first round picks seems about right well for grant and and we'll say as a as an asset play for troy weaver to sign him with cap space and do that is would be impressive they can get multiple first round picks for grant somebody that they that they did that and grant wanted to go there and like the christian wood situation i I think there are a lot of parallels it's also you know guys who signed with the team for an expanded opportunity and then just don't really fit their new timeline it'll be about what those players want but it kind of this kind of is a to me an indicator that grant is at least open to that idea Uh, a couple quick hitters 
uh, I watched the Pistons Wizards game, so I want to do a little a, a little bit on uh, Frank Jackson, who had 19 points in that one. Um, it's been an up and down season for him. Had a couple of real high points, including 25 on Sunday against the Nets in a game that they, of course, lost. Um, but overall, 54% true shooting, 34% on threes after 41% last year. And with Jackson, I've been. I've been lower on him basically since he since he was in college at Duke because I didn't think that he could create well enough to be uh, like a, a high level NBA guard. So to me, if you if you can't you know pass handle well enough, you have to do a lot of other things right. Typically, that's shooting and defense to to really stick on a team. I'm less optimistic than some, but it's good to have that he's had some recent games. And then the other one is Hamadou Diallo. Diallo is fascinating in that in that Wiz game, and he's having the most efficient year of his career. And you're like, oh, maybe Hamadou Diallo, has he finally figured out how to shoot? Nope, 59% true shooting, but he's only taking 1.2 threes per game. It's that he's making 60% of his twos, 71% the basket, and 68% from floater range, taking basically three-fifths of his shots from inside 10 feet. So Diallo leaning into what he does well, and you can't do that on every team, but particularly if Kelly Olynyk comes back, there's ways to make that ecosystem. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get to the 12 and 16 Pacers now. 5 and 5 since we last checked in on them. Plus 3.0 net rating is actually ninth in the NBA. They are underperforming their point differential significantly. We'll talk more about that. Somehow these guys are sixth in offense, Danny. Yep. That's that's surprising. And 13th on defense. They're above average on both offense and defense. They project for 42 wins, which would be ninth in the East. They'd be in the play-in. 49% chance the playoffs per Raptor, 36% per ELO. And let's talk a little bit more about this underperformance of their point differential. Yeah, it is the largest differential in the league right now. So if you go by Cleaning Glasses version of net rating, that plus three, that's the differential of a 49-win team. And the Pacers are below 500. And I wonder how Kevin Pritchard and Herb Simon would be thinking about this. Remember, we talked at length about the Pacers situation late last week. If that if that were the case, however, you could make an argument. And I think I would. And this is something I turned to in our conversation and then in the one I did with um, Seth Partnow and Sam Vecini. That maybe this is pushing them in the direction they should have gone all the time. That it's like, okay, we're a we're a little bit worse, and so make some moves. And it sounds like uh, Sham Shania clarified this a little bit in his inside pass piece that what Pritchard is looking at is trading, or at least considering trading, Karis Levert and either Miles Turner or Demontis Sabonis. The idea of keeping one, but that they're open to trading one, trading either one of them. Yeah, but not both necessarily, which I, I think makes sense. When we and I did that whole long episode on the Pacers for Dunked on Prime last week, it does seem like it's more the idea, okay, they're going to rebuild. I don't know that that is really what is traditionally what you would think of rebuilding, of selling off all of your assets. I think they break up Sabonis Turner. Maybe they move on from Karis LeVert, who's kind of not really working out there anyway. And that's that might be it, right? You get a couple of first round picks in the hopper going forward to, to bring in some more good players, but that they're and maybe you're potentially you miss out on the play in this year, and then maybe you get some lottery luck and get bumped 
bumped into the top four maybe not but that there it won't be their plan to be you know a top seven worst team in the nba over multiple years that just hasn't been the case so far i think there is an understanding that the sabonis Turner pairing needs to be split up. I still maintain that Turner is the best possible partner out there for Sabonis. And I think you're, again, you're seeing that, right? This is, Sabonis did what he did in his role, but here's what Sham says about the trade for Sabonis versus the trade for Turner. He's two-time all-star demonic Sabonis is expected to generate strong interest in among the attractive players who could be available in a trade. And all you could say about him is the Suns, who won't be interested anymore, and the Kings have shown interest in recent years. The Kings have a center who kind of fits a little bit better. I, well, and I, Jason yeah. Jones had a piece for the Sack B basically saying they haven't reached out over the last couple of weeks. So that's a, another was, was that Jason game. Jason Anderson? Might have been. Second, yeah, Jason Jones. Jason Anderson. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then the counter was a slew of teams will pursue Miles Turner uh, and it will come down to the Pacers price tag. It's believed to be more likely just one is moved. Um, but I, I think there are just more teams interested in Turner just because he's a better fit. And I think there's an understanding that as soon as you get Sabonis, then you also need to find a Miles Turner to pair next to him potentially, or you got to just have a lot of length and athleticism on the wing. I mean, I would be shocked if Phoenix were still interested, for example, to like put it, play him at the four when their formula has worked so incredibly well. Sure. Um, um, one other yeah, kind of quick thing on them, them that part of the reason their offense has been better than expected is that now that TJ McConnell's out, they have to lean more on Brad Wanamaker and it's gone really well so far. Uh, 117 offensive rating plus 5.3 net rating in Wanamaker's 170 minutes so far. Um, part of that is the Pacers have made a ridiculous 42% of their threes, but they do have some good three-point shooters. And one of the things that I like that Carlisle and now Lloyd Pierce, because Carlisle's in the protocols, have done is that they've generally paired Wanamaker with another capable creator, Sabonis a lot, sometimes Karis LeVert, because Wanamaker can be a piece of the equation, but he can't be the like the every down guy. That's just not that's not what Wanamaker is good at. That's not what he's yeah, good I, enough to do. I, I wouldn't want him really being the any down guy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he can as if he's a complimentary player and all that. And then the individual efficiency for Wanamaker has been really rough. 47 percent true shooting, 29 percent on threes. But my instinct is that that's going to come down to earth, that there's a regression to the mean there. But it is a part of why Indiana is sixth in offense is that they've when they've had to go shorthanded, they've done better than you would expect. Miami is 16 and 11. They are spiraling as well due to mostly injuries, but also COVID absences. Five and five since the last 15 and 60. Plus 4.3 net rating is still fifth in the NBA, although there are many teams clustered around that area. Ninth on offense, seventh on defense. They project for tied for the fifth seed in the East, 47 wins. Raptor gives them 81% chance of the playoffs. Elo, 78%. What's the latest on their injury situation? Oh, it's not great. Um, Jimmy Butler is still dealing with this tailbone issue. Markeith Morris with the whiplash. Neither one of them flew with the team on their current road trip. So that means both will miss the game against the Cavs on Monday and the game against the Sixers on Wednesday. But there's a possibility that that either could come back on Friday because Orlando is a road trip, but it is very close to Miami. And, and the idea basically being that it's really that they're out for these two games, not the whole thing. So, you know, that's been a challenge. They've had to lean a lot more on on some support players, Tyler Hero, Caleb Martin, who was doing really well before he went into the protocols, which is one of the one of the challenges that Spo is dealing with. Yeah, and Spo had some comments uh 
on this that, and I don't know whether this is something that he's been attacked for on social media or anything like that, but essentially saying, hey, you know what, like we're doing more testing now and we're finding, we've got guys in the pro- protocols who are asymptomatic, so are the Bulls. They played the Bulls the other night and, and then obviously uh, more Bulls end up being in the protocols right after that, so there's a possibility they could have been transmitting during that game. But Spo saying, hey, you know what, like these guys are asymptomatic. Like if this were the flu, we're not testing for the flu. And yes, obviously the idea oh hey it's the flu brings up some terrible memories of the people who were just totally dismissing it wrongly at the start of the pandemic but now with a team that's fully vaccinated your hope is that this really is more like the flu and that yeah when guys don't feel able to play when they have the flu then they don't play they get a non-covid illness and they might sit a couple of games but this idea that we're going to just keep testing you and keep testing you and that if you transmit it more that's a big problem because then everyone else is going to get covid as well and then that's going to cause things to shut down you end up having postponements like the bulls have you know i think that's obviously where he's missing is the idea that hey you know you're still out there potentially transmitting even if you're asymptomatic but the truth is that you know if covid is eventually going to become an endemic illness we probably won't get to the point where we're like testing guys and then you have these protocols and you have to sit for 10 days every single time you you get covid so i do think at some point both for miami and our society there's going to need to be a rethinking particularly if you know i'll I'm not aware that anyone in the NBA who's gotten sick this year has had major issues who's been vaccinated and everyone has had a chance to to get vaccinated. And so if this is going to become endemic eventually at some point this conversation should be had i don't think it's time to have that yet but i do think you know it's not like he should just get killed for these comments like it is something that the league needs to start thinking about to some degree to move on with this being endemic and and acknowledging that at least to the league and its players that it's not like a huge life-threatening illness for those who are vaccinated and in their prime physically um we can also talk a little bit about tyler hero interestingly when they brought him into the starting lineup and he was one of their best available players butler is out they desperately need some playmaking let's start him obviously let's play him more minutes than what most people would say you should do but unfortunately tyler hero really struggled in his role as a star he started seven games so far this year and he's hitting 32 percent from three in those games and his 17 games as a reserve still playing not quite as many as he plays 32 minutes off the bench and 36 as a starter he is 42 percent from three there and 57 percent true shooting instead of 50 when he starts usage is basically uh, about the same and it, it really seems like for whatever reason that he's more comfortable off the bench and then if you look at his career stats uh, as well 56 percent true shooting off the bench 52 percent as a starter basically the same usage shoots 40 percent from three off the bench and 30 percent from three as a starter he started 30 games in his career and 103 so far as a reserve now a big a big part of this is just that he's hitting his threes and this is do you want to say that this is there's something to this one of the big part of it is just he shoots 10 percent worse from three as a reserve uh, i'm not sure but they have decided to move him back into a bench role he's historically played better that way so interesting to see here where like that's it's not amazing if you're his agent you don't want to see that because if you're coming off the bench there's just only so much that you're going to get paid and you know even lou williams the sixth man of the year is getting paid eight million for the last like five years uh, up until this one so i think you would definitely want him to be a starter but he hasn't performed as a starter and so it's easier to bring him back on 
onto the bench it just if i'm his agent i'm hoping to come to miami and be like hey like this this can't be the long-term plan here like we need to have him starting at some point but they prefer to go duncan robinson um another interesting thing is uh max Struess has actually been probably their best shooter this season interestingly enough at least from three Struess right now is yeah but he's making 41 percent of his threes and Struess is taking five a game but he's doing that five per game in 20 minutes per game as opposed to more so if you want to do it per 100 possessions you can do it that way he's still behind Duncan Robinson in attempt rate but he's ahead of Hero and Kyle Lowry and some of the others and as you mentioned the highest percentage Duncan Robinson only 34 percent so far in threes this year yeah that's that's gonna be interesting uh Victor Oladipo there was some video of him working out he looked like he was very gingerly taking some corner threes barely getting off the ground it was only like a six second clip from Ira Winderman that's but that's the first that we've seen of him doing anything at all but didn't look like a guy who's going to be back before the all-star break and now maybe he's doing more strenuous activity at other times but generally when you see it, he was definitely shooting like a guy who was like trying to take it easy and was injured still so i'm not gonna be uh i still don't expect much contribution from him i do think they can use him in some respect if he can come back and give them even what he was giving teams last year in a smaller role but it's gonna be quite some time it seems like for his return let's go to the bucks milwaukee 18 and 10 a robust 9 and 2 since the last 15 60 they're all the way up to fourth in net rating plus 5.3 they're fifth in offense and sixth in defense one of the only teams that's top 10 in both at the moment projected that they will finish with the best record in the eastern conference at 55 wins they're going to make the playoffs and good news on that on that front dante divincenzo is expected to return on wednesday so that would mean that he missed the first 29 games and would play in the 30th game and oh we should also note that like like stanley johnson in chicago west matthews signed it basically immediately went into the covid protocols and we don't know whether that was that he already had it or that that, he, that they caught it with testing or that he got it anyway that happened and then one other telling stat those who remember the extended discussion we had in the awards podcast about the kind of partial strength and full strength bucks when Giannis middleton and drew holiday are playing the bucks have a plus 17 net rating in 478 possessions they were plus 13 last year there is some shooting luck but they're just like the core of this team is just absolutely ridiculous and that has been true without brook lopez being available basically at all yeah that's been an impressive aspect to to their season what has it looked like uh, with bobby portis in place of brook lopez defensively well when portis has played with Giannis, it's looked really good i mean the 101 defensive rating when Giannis and portis play together which is of lineup data that's 94th percentile really really good and the offensive environment is weaker this year but that's still ridiculous and what I find so telling, remember, in, in those lineups, technically, I think Bobby Portis is often listed as center, but Giannis is fulfilling the center responsibilities first and foremost, is that in these configurations, the Bucks defense functions like the Bucks defense. They're not allowing stuff around the rim, they're not fouling, and they're defensive rebounding extremely well. Now, it is fair to argue, and I would, that they've had a little bit of luck on opponent three-point shooting, especially 27% on corner threes. That is, you know, you don't expect that to sustain, but okay, you knock up that defensive rating a couple of points to like a 103 or a 104, still damn good. And another, encur- like, another encouraging part is that Portis is contesting more shots around the rim. So far, that's going well. About 54% on the shots that he contests. 
um, compared to 59%. But again, there's a lot of noise in that. I don't think, oh, he's a world's better defender this year. But the in some ways, the bigger shift that has happened is that Giannis, you know, kind of taking over the Brook Lopez mantle, he's playing in some ways more like Brook Lopez as a as a rim con- as a contesting at the rim, and that has gone extremely well. He's he's contesting five shots a game, and opponents are only making forty six percent of those. It's actually the best mark in the league of, or maybe it's second best to Gobert of anybody uh, contesting five shots or more. Yeah, and if you look at their roster without Brook Lopez out there, they've got some solid guys to be sure. You know, Pat Connaughton has really made some strides, and he's having a really really good year shooting 43 percent from downtown they've got drew they've got a solid defensive roster but really it's Giannis who makes it all work and we talked in the awards pod about how their defense completely falls apart without him on the floor another just quick stats update here Giannis at 68 percent from the foul line on 10.2 per game the three-pointer is worse than ever at 29 percent he's taking four of those per game we've also seen a lot of regression from drew holiday who had his best three-point shooting season last year and chris middleton chris middleton shooting only 35 percent from downtown i think that'll get better though grayson allen of course having a, a really good season shooting it from three so is bobby portis and then you mentioned uh, that they signed west matthews he did get into four games at 14 minutes a game that's true uh didn't do a ton he wasn't shooting the ball much and then demarcus has played six games averaging 12.2 minutes but shooting only 30 percent from the field 46 percent from two but only 10 percent from three i think they would love for him to be able to space the floor a little bit for him it hasn't really worked out a ton yet he's really kind of waxed and waned as a three-point shooter over the course of his career um there's one other thing you wanted to talk about here just in terms of Giannis's approach this season well yeah I, th- I thought it was interesting he, he talked to Eric Dem I think it was after the Miami game about basically Giannis said that there there are sometimes when you have to force your will on the game and so he's basically kind of like the idea that it, it's you can get into kind of some of the like effects of things where it's like you if you if they load to you and all you do is pass then you're not you're not impacting the game as much and so he's trying to be a little bit more assertive trying to mix it up a little bit um because he was just making the right pass over and over again and that, that's an interesting kind of like part of the human element here is that for Giannis like as they're getting that direction you have to do it and also was playing with more limited teammates so yeah I, I just thought it was interesting we can move on to the New York Knickerbockers they are down to 12 and Oof. 15 three and eight since the last 15 and 60 below water and net rating about negative one um 15th league average on offense below that on defense we'll talk about that in a sec and the 530 projections are not rosy for the Knicks. Um, 37 wins for the Raptor model would be 13th in the East. Granted, part of that is because the East is strong in that area. Um, only a 13% chance of making the playoffs. ELO has it up to 25%. And challenging things further for the Knicks is that heading into that game against the Bu- the game against the Bucks, where the Bucks handled them at MSG on Sunday afternoon. RJ Barrett and Obi Toppin are in the COVID protocols, and Alec Burks was out for personal reasons. They were really shorthanded. And as a stray note, Sham said that teams are inquiring about Kevin Knox and Knox is a pending restricted free agent if a team makes him a qualifying offer. Now, even without making the qualifying, without making the starter criteria, it's still going to be pretty sizable for Knox considering how little he's played. And it only matters to like four teams. But if you trade for Knox and you are going to make him a qualifying offer, his cap hold is $17.5 million. So hope you're not one of those four cap teams. I have yeah, with uh, with topping in the profile 
or, or protocols Knox played 29 minutes which is 21 more minutes than he had played in any other game and he went six out of 15 from the field did have 18 points and uh negative 18 but hey good best game of the year he actually played so let's uh let's leak that some teams might be interested in him uh and i'm sure he'd be interested yeah. in being somewhere else because maybe they'd give him a more reliable chance uh, but what I wanted to do um, a deep a, a deeper dive yeah, on tell is us, the Knicks. Tell us why their defense sucks is, is what you're going to do here. Right? Yeah, I mean, so last year, Knicks were fourth in defense, and they're all the way down to 21st this year. But one of the things that I find most significant is that in terms of both relative you know, league ranks and in terms of raw numbers, they're actually not that far off last year. It's that this is a weaker offensive environment, which we expect to adjust. And then the other big one that has changed is their defensive rebounding, um, where they're, they're doing way worse on the defensive glass so far this year and it, so like you could kind of get into some of the constituent elements so are they giving up worse shots no actually they're not I, they're, they're giving up better shots overall relative to themselves last year so a little bit fewer around the rim a little bit fewer from floater range shifting those to long twos but remember that part of why you and I were so skeptical of the Knicks defense last year is that they have a very unhealthy opponent shot mix. So this year, even with that improvement, they're 25th in opponent location effective field goal percentage. That's bad. That's quite bad. And so what has happened, um, there's a there's been a regression to the mean, as we expected, from three point about sh- opponents are shooting about two percent better. And when you yeah. give and up again, remember, the overall league average is way down for down three compared yeah. to last year. And when you and when you give up as many threes as the Knicks do, that two percent makes makes a big difference. And so they've dropped from they're even even with everything. They're eighth in opponent effective field goal percentage, which is a big challenge. And with the eye test and this is something. Well, well fans, so, so they're eighth in opponent. Uh, effective field goal percentage so that's actually still pretty good it's just they're yeah it's still, it's still way better players. it's still way better than you would anticipate given the shot mix that they have some of that is because they're aggressive contesting at the rim and everything else but they're uh, so this year they're they don't force any turnovers and they've been horrible on the defensive glass they're towards the bottom of the league they're fouling you know middle of the road in terms of fouling so they're not like i mean the knicks are kind of there they are 21st and they're but a, a modest improvement actually or a modest downgrade could push them kind of far in either direction we'll have to see if either of those things happen and more of the eye test um there are ways to measure this but i didn't have them handy um it seems like the knicks guards are giving up more penetration part of that is you know they've been playing they've been playing better offensive guards and worse defensive guards and concerningly for the knicks they've done this swap of of kemba who's basically out of the rotation for alec burks and when you put fournier burks baird and randall with whatever center that's kind of the way that i like to do lineups for the knicks because the centers all do some they're all kind of intended to do similar things 124 defensive rating negative 1.4 net rating which are basically they're in the same ballpark as the, the stats with Kemba which was over a much larger sample so there are reasons to believe I think Outburst is a markedly better defender than Kemba so that you think that will improve in time and the sort of small sample size is exaggerating things a bit but it, I mean, Fournier's been limited defensively. And then also, like, you know, Randall and Barrett, I would say offensively haven't been. It's more been that they haven't been to their standards rather than defensively. Yeah, I think that, you know, Barrett at this point, 44% on twos, up now to 35% on threes. He's finally hit a couple. Randall has been the more disturbing regression, particularly with his three-point shot, down to 33%. He was over 40 last year. And we just haven't seen those viral clips of shot making from him at the end of games. He had a a really nice game against the bulls when they were undersized they ended up losing that anyway and but there just haven't been these games where he's gone off and 
a lot of that has been there's the shot making has not been there that step back to his right hasn't been there teams are sitting on that a little bit more and again remember things are supposed to be easier for Julius Randle this right year. maybe his role would be smaller but he would be more efficient because there's more spacing he can get better shots and that has been the case their offense has been better this year at, at 15th and you know, I don't think things are quite as bad for these guys as it looks right now particularly given uh, Barrett and Toppin being in the protocols and you know three and eight since last year 15 and 60 I don't think that they are that bad but like Julius Randle has to play a lot better and if he keeps playing like this we thought that it was a big win for the Knicks to get him on that extension I think you and I both overall like their offseason it hasn't been working out so far Fournier has been probably more of the problem like he's Tom Thibodeau's offenses have never really done a great job of having multiple options like they'll run plays for Fournier on those wide pin downs out of the corner but they don't the Knicks offense still doesn't flow from action to action very well that's where Fournier can be more effective he's only averaging 1.7 assists Alec Burks despite the fact that he's been playing point guard for these last seven games that he's been in in the starting lineup only 2.1 assists per game on the season these guys are not a good passing team Julius Randle is trying to pass more because he can't hit a shot but he's probably even overpassing at times now not good times in the Big Apple at the moment all right, well, we are actually out of time in our recording here before this Bucks Celtics game that we're going to do. So rather than wait to put this whole thing out at once, we wanted to give this to you immediately. And we'll come out with the remaining four teams, Orlando through Washington, tomorrow morning. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.